Right. So, uh, I, I love it. I love that this is happening. I really do. Because you know what it tells me when, when we're willing to, you can sit down. I'm going to be up here for a couple minutes. Um, when, when we have a time like this and people are just talking and sharing together, it, it's great because it does my heart good because it, either one of two things, either you're faking it really well or you kind of like each other a little bit, right? It, it's good to, uh, to be together today. It's, uh, it's good to see some old familiar faces, new familiar faces as well. Um, and not to embarrass anybody, but Sal and Amma, we're glad both of you are back uh, for your respective things. It's great to see you again. It really is. We're, uh, we're continuing to pray for you and others as well, but uh, specifically you guys in, in the things that you're uh, going through, and, and we're just glad that you're here. We are, uh, we're halfway through our series uh, in the book of Hebrews, so I'm going to invite you to grab your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews. Uh, in, in this series, we find uh, the, this theme of Jesus is better, and that's the theme that we've been looking at, how Jesus is better than angels, and Jesus is better than prophets. He's better than Moses and Joshua. As we extend uh, into this book, we will find that it expands on this idea of how through Jesus, growing is better than stagnation, and the new covenant in Jesus is better than the old covenant, how faith is better than law, and how growing is better than uh, stagnation, and how persevering and enduring is better than quitting. Today, as, as we continue to strive to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ, we are going to look at this theme of Jesus is better than priests, all right? Jesus is better than priests. Now, these, this idea of Jesus being better than priest is based on the idea that Jesus is our high priest, okay? And this is something that is, is found often in this letter. In the first few chapters of the letter, we see Hebrews chapter 2.17, where it says, Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 says, Jesus is the high priest of our confession. Jesus is the high priest who has passed through the heavens and can sympathize with our weakness, according to Hebrews chapter 4. And one of the disadvantages we have of reading this letter in central New Jersey in 2018 is our lack of understanding when it comes to the context and the history and the tradition and the role and everything that's involved in a priest, especially the high priest. So in order for us to understand why it's even important that Jesus is better than the priest, we have to take a moment and look at the role of a high priest. Now, here is the danger of what's about to happen. Uh, at the end of, of church last week, as I was you know, saying bye to people, people are going about their, their separate ways, I had uh, one person come up to me and say, look, I just have to tell you that about the first half of your message today, which was last Sunday, made no sense, right? It just did not make any sense. I couldn't tell why it was important. I couldn't tell where you were going. I didn't know what your point was. And then this person told me, but thankfully, by the end, you put a little bow on it, and it made sense. Well, can I tell you that the same thing may happen today, okay? You may be sitting there going, huh, what, why, what, where, you know, because the, the, the thing about it is, when we talk about Jesus being better, I think we can all kind of go, okay, great, yeah, thank you, got it, and let's move on. So I say, hey, we're going to talk about Jesus being better than the priest, and you're like, hey, that's great, I got it. What's the big deal, Right? Can't we just say it and then go on to something that's maybe more applicable to my life? But there's so much that could be said about this role of the high priest that the danger is when we just hit the highlights, we're going to miss the point, which is why it's so important, church, that 
that the time you spend in the scriptures is not limited to these 24 minutes that I have with you, okay? It has to be more than that. Having a basic understanding of the role of the high priest and how Jesus is better than all the other priests will hopefully help piece together some of those things from the Old Testament that maybe you read and just didn't understand, or maybe you started to read and you're like, (laughs) I have no idea, and so you just skip it, right? Uh, But this will help with that. It will also help make some of the New Testament passages just come more alive because it'll help them have deeper meaning and make more sense to you. This comparison between Jesus and the priest is a common thread throughout the Old Covenant into the New. It shows God's plan of love and grace and mercy and redemption and, and how those, that plan was a consistent plan and it's been woven throughout the scriptures and it's been discovered in the person of Jesus Christ. Here the author of Hebrews is telling the audience, hey look, all of these things that you as, as Jewish people, all these things that you hold dear, the laws and the traditions, the patriarchs, the stories, all, all of those things, they are great. They are good stuff. They hold a special place in your life and in your uh, existence and in your heart because they are important. And the reason they're important is because of what they accomplished and also because of where they brought us to today. And where we are today is that Jesus, God's son, he is better than all of those things. And what we're going to cover today, the author shows us how Jesus is better than the high priest. The high priest was that person in Judaism, in the Jewish faith, that all throughout history has done so much for the Jewish faith and the nation of Israel. Uh, The uh, amazing position of high priest and, and all that was accomplished, the author is saying, Jesus is better. He is better. So hang with me this morning, if it helps to take a few notes or draw a picture or just write out your grocery list, whatever you need to do, but, but hang with me and, and hopefully this will make sense, we'll explore this text together and we'll see why this is important. If you grew up in or have a familiarity with one of the mainline denominations like the Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox or Anglican, Lutheran, Methodist or, or some other churches, you probably have or at least are familiar with the position or title of a priest. Uh, Maybe you're here today and you have little or no church background, and when you hear the word priest, all these really negative things come to mind because that's what's typically in the news, right? And you're thinking, well, if Jesus isn't better than the priest, then I don't know what we're doing here, right? And so there's all different kinds of things that we can be thinking when we think about this idea of Jesus being better than the priest. If you're like me, uh, hopefully you're not in a lot of ways, but I grew up in a non-denominational church where the only concept of a priest that I had was this flannel graph picture of some old dude in an ornate bathrobe with a headband, right? I mean, that's what, that's what I saw because flannel graph I'm really showing my age. Anybody with me there on flannel graphs? Thank you, the five of you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, and so that was, that was kind of my concept. When I had to put a, a high priest role in an actual person, uh, I guess I envisioned Mr. Everett Morrison. I, I don't have a picture of him. Mr. Morrison was an old guy when I was in elementary school. He was really old when I was in high school. He was a good guy, but he was always just a little grumpy, you know? Just always that guy that you... He was never mean, but never nice. You know what I'm talking about? He was a guy that, that I always looked up to, though, because he gave the best communion meditations, right? Before we would take communion, he would, he would give these meditations, and then he would pray. And when he prayed, it sounded like God was right there listening, all right? 
the only thing that I really didn't like about Mr. Morrison was the fact that he prayed a long time every time he prayed. He took that pray without ceasing passage a little too literal for me, right? Especially when I was a teenager and I'm like, church has got to get over soon, right? And so that was kind of my idea. So, so needless to say, when I began many years ago to research this idea of a high priest and to learn about it, I had a lot of learning to do, and maybe you do as well. So here the author is writing to a group of Jewish believers that would have easily understood the significance of the argument that's being made, uh, that would have easily understood what was being said in reference to this title and the, this position of high priest, And so for us to better understand the context of what is being said, we're all going to become Jewish here this morning, right? No, not not possible, obviously, right? But that would definitely help. In fact, I thought of a couple of Jewish people that I know, and at least one of them are here today, and I thought I should ask that person to come up here and share, and that would probably mean more. But that person would never talk to me again and probably never come back if I asked that person to come up here on the stage because that's just not what they love to do. But if we could become Jewish we would understand this so much better and the text would be so much richer and obviously that's easier said than done. When we look at Judaism and we look at the role of the high priest, we see the author gives a brief description of the high priest and the role of the high priest and so we're gonna dive in and try to get our, 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 a, a grasp on this as best we can in this short period of time. So we're gonna be in chapter five. We're gonna read the first four verses. They'll be on the screen. If you have your Bible, follow along. I'm gonna read them out loud. Here we go. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. Okay, so before we go any farther, who or what is a high priest? Well, the high priest was considered to be the supreme religious leader of the Israelites. He was the person in the office of high priest was determined by God and was from the lineage traced through Aaron, who was the brother of Moses and the tribe of Levi, so the Levite tribe. And we find this in Exodus 28, Numbers 18, and other places as well. His role was to attend to the things pertaining to God right? That, that was the job. Uh, because the high priest held the leadership position, we know from Second Chronicles chapter 19 that one of the roles was to oversee all the other priests. One of the significant responsibilities the high priest had was that the, the Hebrew people would go to the high priest and would ask the high priest questions about what I should do with my life or what decisions I should make, uh, seeking uh, direction and, and things in their life in order to know the will of God. He was kind of like the ultimate counselor and decision maker wrapped up into one. So that's what the people would do. The high priest was the person in charge of offering the animal sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. As we read in Leviticus chapter four, he not only had to offer the sin, uh, have a offering or sacrifice for the sins of the whole nation, but also for himself, which meant he himself as high priest was flawed, imperfect, and not complete. And this reminder of his own failings was to help ensure that the high priest would remain humble before God and show compassion to his fellow Jews. A high priest that was aware of his own sin and weakness would be more likely to show compassion and mercy and grace to the people that he was interacting with. Does that make sense? So 
the most important duty the high priest had, and, and this, is, this is essential here, was to conduct the service on the day of atonement. Now, only the high priest was allowed to enter into the most holy place of the tabernacle, which was behind the veil so he could stand before God. And, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk more about the tabernacle and the temple and all that stuff. And you don't have to care yet, but hopefully you will at some point, because that's what helps all of this make sense. Having made a sacrifice for himself, and then for the people, he then brought the blood into the Holy of Holies, and according to Leviticus 16, he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat of God, and he did this in order to make atonement. Now, what's atonement? That's one of those church words, right? Well, it means reconciliation. The way I always remembered it was it's an at-one-ment. He's making us at one at this moment, at one minute, with God, all right? So he's making atonement with God. And not only for himself, but for all the people, because that at one minute, that reconciliation was for all the sins the people had committed during the previous year. All right, did you get all of that? Does that make sense at all, or did we just waste, you know, four and a half minutes? We good? Okay, we can kind of track and move forward. Okay, good. Now, Here's the thing, with that very, very, very basic understanding of the role of the high priest, it gives us a chance to better understand the significance of what it means for Christ to be better than the high priest and better than all the other priests, and, and even why it's important and necessary. So we need to look at the qualifications of Jesus and why he could even be a high priest in the first place, all right? So there's a couple things. The first thing we see is that Jesus was appointed by God to be high priest, okay? When we look at chapter five, verse five of the text, we see that Jesus did not seek to be high priest, but he was called by God to serve in that capacity. And to support this claim, the author quotes from two Old Testament passages. The first from Psalm two, verse seven, when it reads, you are my son, today I have become your father. Sound familiar? It should. It was quoted earlier in Hebrews already. So it's referring back to the same thing to build his case to make the point. The author also quotes from Psalm 110 verse four when it says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is interesting because if you think about the role of a high priest and some of the qualifications that I ran through, you all got this, I know, because you're sharp people, but the high priest had to be from the line of Aaron and be from the tribe of Levi, right? Here's the problem. Jesus was not from the lineage of Aaron. Okay, so what do we do about that? Uh, so instead, Jesus was from the order of Melchizedek. So who is Melchizedek? Well, I love the way the Bible Project film says, he was a mysterious priest king from ancient Jerusalem who appears in the story about Abraham, which is so true because we don't know a lot about Melchizedek, right? But what we do know is that Jesus is from the order or line of Melchizedek. How? I, I can't answer all those questions today. We can talk about that later. That's... That's a couple hour conversation or at least m multiple message uh, conversations. But in this story that we see Melchizedek interacting with Abraham, we see it set up Melchizedek as a greater priest than all of the other high priests than any priest that would have come out of the line of Aaron, okay? So a little hierarchy here. You've got all the priests of Aaron. Into the picture comes Melchizedek. And then we have Jesus being in the order in the line of Melchizedek and better than Melchizedek. So where does that put Jesus? 
Better is the right answer, okay? So we're kind of building up that direction. Jesus is greater. He's the greatest high priest. He's greater than any high priest that this Jewish audience would have ever heard of or understood or had interaction with in all of Judaism. That's the case he's trying to make, all right? And some of you are going, okay, we got it. Just go. All right, here we go. So since Jesus was both high priest and the son of God, so those are the two of the big qualifications. Look at what Jesus was able to do. Jesus was able to sympathize through suffering. That's the second point. Look at what Jesus did while he was flesh and blood here on earth. If you look at verse 7, we see that Jesus offered prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. Joel talked about that this morning, right? We cry out to God in our prayers. Jesus set the example for us when he cried out to the Lord. Jesus prayed to the one who is able to save from death. Jesus' prayers were heard and received because of his submission to God. It's interesting to think about Jesus the Son being in submission to God the Father. Uh, Submission is such a negative word in our society. And and yet here in verse 8, we see the value of this submission. Because while he was God's Son... And while Jesus was without sin, he still endured suffering. And by being obedient through this suffering, Jesus certainly understood the condition of all of humankind. He was in that way able to sympathize with us, which was one of the qualifications of a high priest to be able to sympathize with the people. But unlike the other high priest, one of the characteristics that set Jesus far above the other high priest was that Jesus was made perfect. Or, or a better way to understand this text is to say that Jesus was made complete through his obedient suffering. And as a result, Jesus became the source, the cause, the reason we can have salvation. And not just a temporary salvation, but an eternal salvation. This is completely different from what the other high priests were able to do and what they were able to offer. If you jump over to chapter 7 and you begin in verse 23, it explains or expounds upon this, how all of this is possible. And we're going to look at that text. In verse 23 it says, now there have been many of those priests, right? Talking about the high priest. There's been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, right? They would serve for a while and then they would die. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And I know I blew right through that, therefore, I got it. We don't have time, but you'll figure it out. Verse 26, such a high priest truly meets our need. If you see what the author is doing here, the author is saying, we had all these high priests that did all this for us. They kind of met our need, but not really. Here we have a high priest that truly meets our need. One who is holy and blameless and pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Jesus willingly gave of himself so that all who, according to verse 9, who are obedient to him could experience eternal salvation. Here's the thing. For this original audience to whom this was written, this claim of a high priest providing eternal salvation was huge for them. This was a game changer. And for that high priest to be the person of Jesus, this meant their entire way of approaching God would change. Everything they understood about God and about what it meant to please God, it was all changing. Think about it. Each year on the Day of Atonement, 
The high priest would have to offer a sacrifice, not only for himself, but for all of the people. And the people, too, were required to offer a sin offering and a guilt offering and all these other things according to the law so that they could be made right with God. So the high priest could do what the high priest was to do and to make things right between the people and God. And keeping the gods from being angry with people was an important part of your life at this time in history. When you look at the Old Testament, and when you consider not only the nation of Israel, but all the surrounding nations, what they believed when it came to the gods. People feared the gods. Why did they fear the gods? Well, because their understanding was that the gods demanded sacrifice. The gods were looking to punish you if you disobeyed. The gods were all about keeping you in line so that they could be pleased with you. But time and time again, throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we see God, Yahweh God, saying, that's not me. I operate differently than what your understanding is. In Genesis 22, verses 12 and 13, through the story of Abraham, we see God saying to him, you know what? I don't want you, nor do I need you to sacrifice your children like all the other nations around you. I am not like other gods. In Psalm 51, uh, verses 16 and 17, we see David saying, you do not delight in sacrifices or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. David is saying that, that God is not like other gods. The famous 23rd Psalm says what? It begins with, the Lord is my shepherd. That is not like other gods. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Now, can you imagine just for a moment that God, creator God, Yahweh God, is singing over you? You're like, no, not possible. Yes, possible. Probable, it happens because he loves you. It, it, it's God's way of saying, I am not like other gods. He is the one true God who sent his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate high priest. He's morally flawless, eternally available for his people, bringing them eternal salvation, a salvation that only an eternal and complete and perfect high priest could provide. Jesus is far superior and greater and better than any other mediator between God and man. And it's interesting, when you consider and understand the role of the high priest, then we can better comprehend the significance of why Jesus offered himself for us and for our sins once and for all. How through his sacrifice and his love for us, he sanctified us and set us apart so that we could be available to him, so we could be in his presence. Jesus has provided for us eternal redemption. Now, this is an idea that's not just limited to Hebrews. It's found other places in scriptures, uh, like in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, when Paul writes, for there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. And because of Jesus, we have redemption. We have love and we have life and it's, we have a relationship with God and that gives us reason to celebrate. It's reason to rejoice. It's reason to praise God for his love and his grace and his mercy. We don't have to go through any other obstacles or things or whatever. We go through Jesus because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And that is the good news. And that's the significance. Think about all the hoops that you make yourself jump through in order to try to please God. 
Can I tell you that God's not calling you to jump through those hoops? He's not. Now, we do it to ourselves. I, I do it to myself. I need to read my Bible and I need to pray. It. Right, but why do I do those things? Do I do them so God will be pleased with me? Or do I do them because of who he is and because of the grace and the mercy and the love that he's offered, because of the relationship I have with him? There's a big difference in why we do the things that we do when we understand that our relationship is not based on what we do for him, it's based on what he has already done for us. And we respond to him and his love and his grace and his mercy, and that's what he's calling us to do. We are called to respond, and maybe this morning, uh, that means that you need to respond to the Lord, and we're gonna go through a time here in our service where we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. Uh, we've changed the order of service today. You may have noticed we're going to do more singing here at the end because I think it's significant that we recognize that because Jesus is the only way that we have life and have faith and have salvation, that we, we worship and we praise and we acknowledge him for that. And so this morning, we're going to, to give you the, the opportunity to respond to the Lord as you realize what he has done for you. And that may mean that right where you are, you need to have a conversation with God about what he's doing in your life or, or maybe the expectations you put on yourself that he's not putting on you and you need to let those go and, and enter into a relationship with him, a relationship that begins today and blends into all eternity. Or maybe you wanna to talk to someone about, about what God is doing in your life. Maybe it's someone who came with you today and you just need to spend these next few moments just having that conversation Maybe you want to talk to someone on the leadership team or staff, and we want to give you the opportunity to do that. We would love to have the opportunity to pray with you, to talk about what God's doing in your life, to answer questions you might have about what it means to accept Jesus and to enter into that relationship with him. Maybe you have questions about baptism. Maybe you're ready to take that step of faith in baptism. Maybe you just want to know what it means to be a part of a church where we're striving to, to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ, and we're recognizing that it's not about us, it's all about him. I'm not sure how God is calling you and how God is, is asking you to respond, but if you feel the Lord calling on you and on your heart, we're gonna invite you to respond today, and we wanna give you that opportunity. So I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. We're going to, to sing, we're going to read scripture, we're going to worship him and praise him as we respond to the Lord this morning.